Hey there, we're Those Sci-Fi Guys, and this is that Those Sci-Fi Guys show. Just two working dudes with way different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am P.S. McKay. And before the break, I graduated from a Pac-12 school, only to come back after the break to find out I graduated from a Big Ten school. What the hell is wrong with college football? I'm DT Catman, and this is why I get frustrated with college football. <laughs> it's, it's the most purest form of the game. <laughs> well, now, it, it was. <laughs> no, they've always been doing dick shit like this. Always. <laughs> Total douchebaggery. Uh, I mean, I know what they're doing. I know why they had to do it. I for those who have been listening to this show, it's no secret that I went to USC and uh, they're in a period of transition after a a decade of full on mediocrity uh, to be generous, (laughs) a decade of failure to be more realistic. But um, agreed. You can't you're not allowed to comment on that. Stop that. No. (laughs) sorry it hurts when i roll my eyes this hard i know but uh i never i never would have thought i i'm i like the pac-12 i like the idea of a west coast uh league you know and to see it just crumble and go away is just insane to me i i I know why they did it my school's in the big east and they were when all those schools from the East Coast, the big like the football schools were banned oh, yeah. to go yeah, to like the ACC and whatnot, even before that, I mean, and then they're like, well, let's start. They're trying to pull in like TCU to the Big East. Makes mm-hmm. about as much sense as the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East. But what the fuck do I know? <laughs> oh, it's a historic rivalry. Yeah, <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. So uh, we are back after a lengthy break. Um, DT, how are things with the family? I mean, you got your you got your your shipment of furniture and dare I say your life brought to your 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 recently purchased abode. Well, it's a transitional phase, you know. Mrs. Calfman's working. Um, Which muzzle top to her. Thank she you. comes right out and she already has a job. Yep. So, but we both have, um, you know, it, it's taken a lot of time out of the, out of being able to put everything together because we had to wait for delivery of our household goods. Yeah. It, it's just going to be a long process. It's nice. House is actually a little smaller than the place we were living at before. It's just, better laid out it's brand new it's does it have a, like a more open floor plan uh yes better okay. usage of space okay okay more storage space closet space now the place where you at you i don't know if you ever disclosed this the state that you were originally where i at. was in the midwest was a rental property so was it also a double like a, a two-story house oh yeah yeah, Texas I know that, mostly single stories. I know that question seems weird for me, but 
where I live is very similar to how Texas does their stuff, too. So, like, it's all ranch houses as far as the eye can see where I live. Yep. So. You know, I mean, I get it. Uh, I, I just, I, I, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what no. I want to retire to, so. Well, no, I understand that. Um, uh, oh, shoot, what was I going to do? Okay, well, things are going well. Little little Ms. Cavman is uh, adapting well to New England life. Mostly. Yeah. You know, it's it's only been a couple weeks, so gotta <laughs> allow people time. That's true. That's true. And I don't know if, gosh, when when I was younger, I was younger than your daughter when we moved from Colorado to uh New England back quote unquote back to New England because I was born there but um, it was at the end of the school year that we moved and so I had an entire summer of just being with my brother I had no, <laughs> there was no opportunity to make friends nothing like that there was a pretty weird summer for me is is she looking at something like that similarly or no I mean That's for good. starters She's, uh, we're members of that, uh, swim and tennis club we, we went to. Oh, dang. You are, were you always members? I mean, is there a wait list anymore? What happens? Are they just letting anyone in? Well, apparently, <laughs> you know, membership took a dive a few years ago, you know, like, and I think it was in a big transitional phase. Really? Now there's just a lot of people that we grew up with who now have kids who moved back to the area and they're like, oh yeah. And. Most and and the board is all people I know, so they kind <laughs> of revamped it. And now, while I'm at work, while my wife's at work, that's where uh, my uh, my maternal uh, forebear is with my progeny <laughs> most days. And uh, so she she's enjoying that, and of course. Uh, you know, through periodic visits up here, she's met kids of my friends and the extended so she, family. Yeah, so she's she knew a few people, but she's building friends. She's in activities here, which is allowing her to get to know more people. That's good. That's good. Smart. So oh, I'd like to think so. So. um <clears throat> And then uh, we are coming off our 4th of July break, which um, being back home, I'm sure. Did you do anything big, spectacular, or was it more low-key? What, for the 4th? Yeah. Dude, we got our furniture on the 30th. So, well, you know, that question still stands. The, the wife and I actually <laughs> had to go back to work on the, on, the, on the 1st, and then Saturday and Sunday we spent oh. all day packing boxes. And a little That's bit right. of on Monday morning, but we stayed low key. We have our nice outdoor set on our porch, so parents came over. We all had a little barbecue on the back deck, yeah. played some yard games, and then curled up with my rug rat and we watched uh, the fireworks on TV. Nice. The Boston Pops on the Esplanade. That is something I do miss watching. 
that used to be a thing. It's harder to find that out here. Well, it, CBS used to run like a full big deal where, like, I think for a few years, Craig Ferguson was hosting it. Yeah. This newly, one was a little... The newly U.S. citizen Craig Ferguson. Right. But yeah. uh, it's now only broadcast on, on local channels. And, you know, it's a little bit... And, of course, they hadn't done it in three years, so it probably wasn't as big. Maybe... Seeing how well they reacted, maybe you'll see some bigger name people. Yeah, I mean, you had like Shaka Khan was there, and that <laughs> was cool. But you know, uh, you get more current acts uh, on the Capitol Fourth, and that's on PBS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, one of the main draws of this is the Boston Pops on the Esplanade. So. So that's what we did because the fireworks were Friday night, and I yeah. <laughs> on the on the first I didn't get home until after seven o'clock. Yeah. I wasn't gonna go out for fireworks. No. <laughs> Plus, I assumed they were gonna be on Saturday. Then my friend who lives over by the field where they shoot off, he's like, "Oh yeah, it's loud tonight." Oh, it's like sucks. why is it a Friday night? Why would they do that? That's stupid. Maybe they got a cheaper rate. I don't know. They must. I mean, it must be a liability insurance thing too. That's easier to get, or Probably something. Probably not. The I don't same know. place that we went to go see it at. Yeah, who knows? All the things are weird now. A pound of turkey costs almost twenty dollars now. So. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, it doesn't cost that much here. It just. Uh, if you can catch a turkey and pound it, they're <laughs> everywhere out here. Yeah. <laughs> catch a turkey and pound it. There you go. The turkey pounder. That's what we should call you now. Cabman the turkey Ooh. pounder. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, nope, it's already there. It's written in stone. It's there. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed the last episode. Yes, and your so. trip out to uh, some of the nat- national parks with uh, the family? Yes, we spent a full week out in Yosemite National Park in in the, the valley. Go climb um, a rock. Yeah, literally. Um, it's, a, it's a family tradition. Uh, it's a crapshoot to get these uh, spots every year. I'm not going to explain how it is, but it's very hard. And you got to hope that you beat the bots. Really? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, but we've been blessed to be able to do this almost every year for the last eight years. Um, with the exception of 2020, when everything was just still shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, we went camping somewhere else that year anyway. But, it, um, but yeah, it, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this the when I was there. Because, first of all, we were there for six nights. Like, seven days, six nights. That's a long time, and it just went by like that. I see. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking, growing up, I knew about Yosemite, right? Yeah. And and I just... had a great mascot, that guy with the red handlebar mustache. Yeah, him and Captain Kirk endorsed it a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
but it was one of those places that I just assumed I would never see in my entire life. Ever. Because why would I go camping clear across the country and, and do that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not an easy drive from San Francisco. You're, you're talking the wrong guy, man. I, I, I can't at many different uh, parts of the country. <laughs> right. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like, I I didn't see myself or my family deciding to do that in any particular time. So being able to do that every year with my family is well, that a sounds like a nice, yeah, and it blows my mind. Nice. I mean, my God, if you have the chance, see Yosemite, because it is probably one of the most beautiful places you'll ever see. Well, you and know, I'm not I'd saying like the actually... most beautiful. Well, no, I'd actually like to see uh, some of these big national parks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I want to see Glacier too National many Park. I mean, I, I, I've been to Niagara Falls. See, and that's a place I'll never see. I know I won't. <laughs> but, and, and that's when I lived in New England, too. I just assumed I, would never gonna see, I was never going to see Niagara Falls. Well, I, so. I mean, I saw it last. Uh, I saw it when we lived when we were stationed in New York, mm-hmm. all those years ago. And we were getting ready to leave, and we're like, you know, we leave in a month. We probably should go to Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah. So we did. We went to Niagara Falls, and then last summer, we took a week to go up to a uh, family wedding in New Hampshire. And so on our drive from the Midwest, we stopped at. Niagara Falls for part for the afternoon. I'm sorry, you cut out there that last part. What was that uh, last part? I said, you know, we we didn't use it as a afternoon pit stop. You know, we spent a few hours there because we. Oh yeah, the wife and I tried a weekend up there once. It's it's not no, especially no? on the U.S. on the U.S. side. There's nothing in. Right outside Niagara Falls. I mean, I mean the there's, park is nice, but you don't really. There's not much else up there. No restaurants. No. A, a handful of things. The Canadian side has a whole bunch of casinos, but you, we yeah. couldn't even. You couldn't go over to the Canadian side. <laughs> you can't get into At Canada time, right now. Yeah, I think that's opening up a little bit more, but Canada is closed for the season. Try next year. Yeah, right. Sorry, folks. The moose out front should have told you. <laughs> he did. In English <laughs> and in French. What movie? Uh, Great Outdoors. No. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Ah, Sorry, yeah. folks. Park's closed. The moose out front should have told you. <laughs> the great John Candy. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, so we did that and then we got back and then we had one day in between getting back and then hosting our 4th of July party, Yeah, which, uh, I always do a big, you know, 4th of July fireworks spectacular where I play, I get, I, I bought these Klipsch speakers, you know, Klipsch, the, the brand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I bought these a few years ago and I. Put set them up outside, and I have two ladders, and we do the safe and sane fireworks thing. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And I play uh, the Boston Pops. I play, uh, nice. you know, Bonanza, all the patriotic stuff. A few Bonanza? Country things. Yeah, Bonanza. Play uh, City Slickers. That's a great, that's a great soundtrack, too. It, it um, did have a pretty good theme. I, I will grant you that. City Slickers had the best theme, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, we did that. And, and I got to tell you. I was freaking wiped afterwards because between a week in Yosemite and then and then hosting a party, it, it's taken me a good week to start feeling like myself again. So um, here I am and here we are. So, mm. <laughs> um, and as news will have it, I am working on Strange New Worlds. Uh, I re-upped I, my subscription. I just finished the series the season finale tonight okay it was pretty epic man i i i i've heard mixed i appreciate that i actually saw on the finale i've heard mixed on the finale yeah so whatever folks they're both but they're wrong (laughs) obviously i haven't seen it i saw memento mori last night which i was actually kind of impressed with that was the, um, was that the... The Born Attack. Right, but that was the Memorial Day one, right? Yeah, what was that all about? Like the USS Potemkin? Well, they, it wasn't that the one where they all had... Were they had wearing, the little badge. They wore the badge, yeah. except... It was basically on. like it's like saying a combat badge or a, you know wearing a, another unit. I liked it. It came out Memorial Day weekend. Or the week before Memorial Day. I thought it was perfect timing. No, they probably timed it accordingly. I just wasn't sure if we had heard of that before. No, that's a new thing. Okay. I mean, and I'm fine with it. Was it like Starfleet Remembrance Day or something? Yeah, it was Starfleet Remembrance Day. Which, I, you know, fine. I, I mean, none of, the, none of the, the show bothered me. But I've been watching the Orville. And oh my God. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's really good. But oh it's my God. really Seth. I don't define really Seth because this is exactly what Star Trek The Next Generation would be nowadays. I know. I know. But it's just, I mean, actually what I do miss is the in the first season and, and even into the se- uh, season two, they had pretty good humor. The, the, the drama is very good. Mm-hmm. I I feel that I'm missing some of the humor that they've actually done very well. I feel like the humor has become more subtle, natural. Well, of course you want it to be natural. You don't want it to be forced, right? I mean, it was a little they, cartoonish in the first couple seasons. Well, first, first season, season in particular, you know. Yeah. But uh, I mean, my God, the the the, the sci fi stories that they have going. I mean, I tell they you, can be interpreted in multiple different ways. By the way, yeah. Although there was no, there was no alternate interpretation of this last week's episode. Uh, you mean the the uh, the Mocklin episode? Yeah, the the Topa no. episode. There they are were, ways that that could be interpreted. Yeah. They, they, uh, they did everything go they could. To, they did everything they could to make sure their their point of view was n- not open to interpretation. Uh, 
I'm, I'm we'll have saying, to talk about this off the air. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it because I thought it was a, a very well done episode. Very. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, just the pathos of the characters. I mean, Kelly, uh, Kelly having to deal with the guilt of knowing what Tope is going through. Yes. However, he should have been severely reprimanded. Well, I and mean, we're talking about science fiction. I mean, Worf should have been arrested for sedition. So <laughs> I know, but even even he got a black mark for, you know, for disobeying orders. I mean, <laughs> Picard was not above leveling, you know, severe disciplinary action on his people. True. I mean, interfering with a sovereign uh, <laughs> with the sovereign nations. Uh, and, and of course, isn't it what they always tell the krill is like, oh, we're stronger together because we respect each other's cultures and stuff. Yes, but the argument could be made that the 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 statement is on the face true. There are situations where the moment is very gray. Yeah, and, and not black and white. Clearly, although how much more epic would Bordis have been in this last episode with that mustache from last season? <laughs> just saying. I, felt, I I fell in love with Bordis. I gotta say, I mean, just he he didn't say much. He didn't even do very much, but you saw his heart be destroyed. Like he was just torn. He was literally, figuratively torn in half. And he knew yeah. what he needed to do, but he couldn't bring himself outright to do it necessarily. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And you saw that pain. You you saw it. You you could feel it. I just it was so well done. It was just it was it was it was heart wrenching. I gotta say. So oh, no, it definitely laid on the heartstrings. So and I I'm gonna say something that's unfair to Star Trek. And I know this is unfair to say it, okay? Especially to Strange New Worlds. I know this is unfair. I was actually, while I was watching Memento Mori uh, of Strange New Worlds, I sat there commenting to my wife. She was saying, you're not yelling at the TV like you normally do <laughs> when you watch this show uh, or any Star Trek that's new. And I'm like, no, because I'm actually thinking this is a pretty well done episode if not show so far she's like oh okay but you don't seem overly happy about it i'm sitting there going you're right i'm not maybe because i'm more impressed with what the orville is doing okay so this could be an entire episode on its own the orville versus new trek which is i've seen videos on yeah but I, i will say this before we get to our topic Right. The Orville is clearly an homage. And I will say it, I felt it was more true to the Trek we grew up with than the early seasons of Discovery and season one of Picard. Okay? Debatable, but I'll take it. I That's what I felt. I understand. That, that it, was, it was, I mean, the bright colors, the, well, I mean... Discovery, and it's sometimes it's it's shot so dark. 
Well, they were going for the movie style. Yeah, but even still, Kirk wasn't sitting in darkness on the bridge of the Enterprise. No, no, he wasn't. And they're doing a pretty good job of Strange New Worlds being in a very brightly lit scenario. Right, because it's supposed to be the same Enterprise. Right. Which, you know, forced them to do this. I don't know if they wanted to do it that way, but it forced them to do it. Well, um, all I'll say this is, I thoroughly enjoyed, and, and we need to do a Strange New Worlds review once you're done, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I'm enjoying the Orville, and I can't wait to see where it goes this season. And now, because for a while they were talking about season three might be the last season of the Orville, and now Seth MacFarlane and a lot of the other actors are like, we'd like a season four. Good. I thought that Seth was resigned to three seasons, but I mean... Three seasons in a movie. Yeah, oh God. Uh, Give us six seasons in a movie. That'll be perfect. I'll be fine with that. I think six seasons of the Orville and maybe just six (laughs) seasons of the Orville. It could be. I mean, was it Memento? No, not Memento Mori. What was it? Oh, no, the the border. A Tale of Two Topas was an hour and 20 minutes long. That was a long episode. (laughs) Almost all of the episodes are, are technically over an hour. Yes. But it doesn't feel like they're that long. Which means mm-hmm. that everything that needs to be said is being said. Yep. Which is good writing, by the way. I mean... Yeah. I mean... Uh, it, it, needless to say, we've got some decent sci-fi going. So, I am bummed right now. This, I, I do want to see the new Thor movie. So, I'm going to have to figure something else out in the next week or so. So, yeah. I don't... I have the bike to go see it because both of my cars are incapacitated right now. <laughs> PT is free, my friend. <laughs> and movie theaters are air conditioned. I know, I know. I mean, our our movie theater is a mile away. We can just ride to ride down to it and then ride back. But there you go. It's just, uh, yeah, it, that whole other issue. Anyway, we had a planned we had a planned topic that we already did technically. We did a we did a <laughs> rehearsal. We did a rehearsal on this. But McKay over here <laughs> failed to hit record as soon as we started, you know, talking. So we were an hour into the subject and that hot sick feeling entered my stomach when I realized what happened. Oh, you screwed the pooch, my friend. You screwed I did. it bad. But you were pretty magnanimous in your acceptance of what happened. Mostly because it was just going to, was just going to go to bed. <laughs> Why don't you get us started with what we're going to talk about? Well, today we're going to talk about uh, some uh, external projects that we've been working on. So you, in addition to your home your home life your day job and you know this ever increasing and ever more epic podcast it's reaching people it is reaching joe from uh, phoenix we know you're listening thanks joe (laughs) now i'm hoping for uh that joe from uh pennsylvania avenue will listen and 
get some shit straight, but uh, <laughs> you're killing me, man, on this gas shit. I know. Anyway, uh, we're not a political podcast. No, we're not. <laughs> In, in many ways, we're very anti-political. On this I'm actually, podcast. I'm actually, I'm the one that's trying to reel you in here. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, thank you, Joe from Phoenix, and some of these other folks who actually have chimed in. Uh, but in addition to the podcast, you're doing audio dramas. Yes. So, and uh, the other part of it. It is. I've been constructing the framework of a fan fiction for an independent Star Trek, uh, I guess, crew for the last decade. It's reformed and whatnot. So that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about today. It's going to be completely original and different than our normal reviews of things and hotly debated topics of analysis and. Yes, analysis of things. We kind of did a, an analysis already a little bit, so that hopefully that that kept them thirsty. So I'm quenching my thirst. Man. <laughs> well, do you want to go first? Night. You do. No, you you, you want to go? All right. Okay. So, all right. As you alluded to, yes, I am currently working on a one-shot audio drama. Um, long story short, back in 2019, I was listening to the White Vault podcast. It's like a horror podcast. Um, mm. it's actually pretty entertaining. I, I recommend you listen. Sounds um, like snow. It, well, it's, it's in a cold environment. Uh, I, I didn't learn about this place until the podcast called Svalbard. Look it up. It's in a very remote place. Norway. <laughs> It's where it's where the 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 um the seed um the seed vault repository yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah the seed vault. yeah and fall yeah vault. no that's, that's right uh, I I saw that uh, one of those Futurama episodes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um anyway so I was listening to them and I'm like you know what there's no reason why I can't do an audio you know be you know try out for an audio drama or something. I have all the recording equipment. This is, you know, a couple of years after we had ended um, Entwined, <clears throat> my partner and I. So I had been following um, uh, Haunted Griffin, which is uh, run by the people who did the Tunnels podcast. Also mm. a podcast taking place in Griffin, Georgia talking about mysteries and uh, rakes living in the tunnels underneath the city and stuff like that. Um, we had run into them during the, the entwined days and I had been following them. Lo and behold, one day <clears throat> I was on vacation um, and I ran across a, a, an audio cast announcement uh, for tryouts. So oh. like, right. yeah. So you know what? I'll do that. I'll, I'll go try out. So, I uh, uh, emailed the guy, told told him my uh, pedigree, uh, being part of the Entwined podcast, which was Tribune's one of Tribune's top five uh, must listens for 2016. By the way, um, congratulations! So, <laughs> yeah, so he had a good no, he had a seriously. good audio sample. Congratulations! Oh, thank you. 
I appreciate that. that. That blew my mind away, by the way. Um, being able to do that within a year. Um, so he had a good sample of what my voice sounded like and everything. So I sent me, he sent me some character uh, reads to do and I recorded them, sent them, got in, was, you know, a pretty big character for, you know, first time voice actor. Mm. And uh, lo and behold, he liked me. So he asked me to do a couple other projects for him. One was a complete like solo read of, of that character. This pompous ass, which I apparently play really well. Um, <laughs> uh, celebrating World Audio Day. And um, mm. this got me thinking about my book that I published almost 10 years ago now, I think. Yeah. Um, Odo, a Changeling Chronicle. Oh. <laughs> Changeling Chronicles of uh, Chrysalis. But yeah. Um, does it matter? No, it was Chrysalis. Uh, anyway, so that being said, I thought, well, what if I turned my book into an audio drama? And mm. so... I thought that'll be a good way to get some eyes to, or ears to it and, and, and whatnot. It'll motivate me to finish the trilogy. Uh, oh, yes. Do that. So, believe me, I'm like halfway through the second book. I just got to do it. Um, <laughs> but I found it too technically uh, intimidating. I just couldn't... I, I, I got worried about the voices, like one being in the left side, one being on the right side, the sound effects. And I really wanted it to be not just a narrative, but an actual drama that you heard, you know. So I, I got frustrated. I gave up. And then I started thinking, well, I, I, I should if I really want this to happen, which I do, what I need to do is start smaller. <clears throat> yes. So I came up with this idea about this 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 16 year old um who found out some really bad news goes for a walk in the woods and then he runs across this girl and it's called stranger in the woods um not spoiler but something to think about who's the stranger in the woods out of these two um they both are uh <laughs> everybody's anyway, a stranger until you meet them exactly so you know they talk and they learn more about each other and they they talk about their anxieties and their fears and you know what what's coming up and they realize that they could probably work with each other and there's a twist at the end which i don't want to give away but um i wrote the script you mean like a dance or like something you put uh, in drink or a Twilight Zone twist. How about we do that? Oh. What a twist! Mm. M. Night Shyamalan? Again. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you're sounding really excited about this. This is making me very motivated to do this, by the way. <laughs> I was super excited the first time we talked about it. <laughs> the first time we talked about it, I know. <laughs> no, it, um, I mean, it sounds fascinating, man. I'm trying to find ways of, of saying things supportively so that yeah. I don't because I don't want to squash your, uh, you know, your creative, uh, you know, process. I think that's excellent. And, you know, when you have I'm not the biggest horror guy. I like a mystery, but I'm not huge into horror. Yeah. Um, 
Now, I think you're saying there's some supernatural in this, right? Potentially. It depends on how you interpret it. Because there's really not a lot. There's not even a lot of horror in it at all. It's It's just just, kind of the Blair Witch Project in Georgia. It's a little it's it's just a Twilight story with a twist. Think about that. A Twilight Zone story with a twist. Not a Twilight story. No, no, no. Yeah, not a Twilight story. No. (laughs) Twilight Zone. (laughs) Just think about it like that. Um, So I submitted it to Haunted Griffin. And the the guy who's in charge, uh, you know, was very excited about it and said, yeah, let's get this done. We can air it in August and you'll get a lot of ears on it. So trying to work on the casting right now. I'll be making a Facebook announcement to try to see if I could find some people. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll start recording in the next few weeks and trying to put it together. So, well, and that sounds awesome. I, I'd like you. the link. I'd like to hear it. I don't need yeah. to know anything else, right? I, I can just listen to it. Yeah, no, it's so so the real the the twist is why I offered it to him to Honda Griffin is they also had this like anthology series called Ghosts of Griffin, where it's not part of the tunnels series, but it takes place in the tunnels universe. You're not doing a southern accent again, are you? No, 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 I'm not doing a southern accent, but I did do an awesome southern accent for them, which he absolutely loved. You you've in another done it project. for me and no. Just no. Oh, no. It's here. I can play it again if you want. Please I can don't. Play it again. Oh, I can't. Please don't. I'm, I'm trying right. to stay your friend. It was awful. It was a good bit of money. That was the name of the episode in Tunnels. Did you, so just did you ever I, see Conair? Uh, yeah. With Nicolas Cage and Miles O'Brien? Yeah. 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 Oh, and Joan Cusack? Yeah. John, John. Cusack? <laughs> yeah. Your accent was as bad as Nick Cage's in that. Uh, I thought his was great. He should have earned the uh, the Academy Award for it. No, he won it for a better acting role. Uh, <laughs> not to be saying that I don't love Con Air and I do, but he didn't need to have a Southern accent. He didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> you don't he need sounded... to be from the South to be in the Army or a Special Forces. No. Just so you know, folks. He did and not I gotta, need to... I, I got to word this carefully. He sounded damaged. He sounded like a cartoon character. He, he did. He did. He just he Put sounded unnecessarily. Yeah. He sounded like a Forrest Gump ripoff. Right. <laughs> okay. It sounded like a little like Forrest Gump. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's the direction I wanted to go. Oh, God. Yeah, Needless God. to say, Con Air, good movie. Nicolas Cage, bad Southern accent. Please don't do a bad Southern accent. We've all but heard awesome and pig. Maybe he learned in 20 years. <laughs> so that's my project. I'm I'm excited for it. So took well, all of 10 I was willing to, to put it. up with Daniel Craig <laughs> attempting a southern accent just for the <laughs> novelty of it. And what movie was that? Knives Out. Oh, shit. You did talk you, about that. You still need to see this I movie. still need to see that. I gotta catch up on Strange New Worlds and... Oh, God. Yeah. There's just too much to watch. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's too much and not enough to watch. Uh, yeah, I get you. So, in addition, so are you gonna do more audio dramas? Do you want to do more? Well, I hope I'm gonna use this as a learning curve so that I can figure out how I want to do 
my audio book. And maybe I can get it. Maybe I can get it taken care of, and you know, through the the, the haunted Griffith. Um, are you are you going to do like the audio an audio book version of uh, of Chrysalis? That's what I was planning. Because each chapter could stand on its own as as one episode. Um, you know, it'd be twenty six episodes, and each chapter it's if you rewrite it, and it's all really just deleting a bunch of things, having a, a narrator in it every now and then a la like um the wonder years Mm. you know what i mean if you have that narrator in it each chapter is only like 10 to 15 pages long which isn't that long for an audio drama i see you know i i i told you i had purchased and listened to the unabridged audio drama of the Thrawn trilogy. Yes. Quite excellent, by the way. And you can tell that the guy who was the uh, narrator, the whatever the uh, as read by, I think he was a voice actor. (laughs) Because he really tried. Well, I mean, his Yoda wasn't bad. His Han Solo was pretty good, actually. <laughs> there were some he really did. And, of course, then he made accents for Thrawn and other people. Gave them oh. all distinct voices, which basically fit what you'd think, right? So, but, so I decided, all right, well, I'll go ahead and... Um, I read the Jedi Academy trilogy. Why don't I go ahead and download that once I finished? Oh my yeah. God! You can't. <laughs> the only thing that you could find unabridged was the Thrawn trilogy. Everything else is abridged. So I went from having uh... literally like twelve hours per book to the entire trilogy being done in nine hours. Oh my God! That's that's not right. You shouldn't do no. that. No. Not in the digital age. But I, I swear these things haven't been updated in 20 years, probably. Well, it's these true. Might, they did these it, might have they been did the to, original ones from, like, 2000 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, to all fit on one tape or something like that. Maybe CD two. or something. Yeah, two CDs. <clears throat> you yeah. bought the two or three CD. A Twilight came in 12 CDs, by the way. I mm. know this because my wife bought it. All of them on audio in CD form. Okay, fair enough. Um, but that was unabridged. I'm just saying. I mean, that no, gives you the I, idea of how long those audio files should be. Agreed, agreed. So, dead air. Uh, well, you know, uh, well, um, what I'm really thinking about, my friend, is... So you're doing this, and you've you've done a couple of others. So you want to get into the Changeling Chronicles, yes. And actually, you said it's supposed to be a trilogy. So is this supposed to kick you in the ass to get you to the finish, George R. R. Martin? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it, I'll tell you this because uh, this is my writing. Uh, and this is for me. 
I always do an outline. And the outline, <laughs> the outline is 70 pages long. Because <laughs> who you're talking you know, to. Exactly. And, and I mean, it consists of whole lines of quotes, you know, miniature descriptions and things like that. And that in and of itself, it's all single space. So that in and of itself is a book in its own. So I'm like rewriting a book I already wrote. In a sense. And yeah, but you're fleshing it out. It's like you 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 put an outline together. You got a yeah. You you put basically a a, a bare bones rough draft, and now you can flourish. You can accentuate. You can recast characters with better actors. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> characters with better actors. But I mean, but you still you can you can add a little more description to certain things, or you know. Of add more backstory or or something or have a subplot somewhere or set 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 up the next book or recall well, something true. from the previous book. You know, y- yeah. you're you got to your world build. No, and this is if true. You're, if you're doing a trilogy, you got to do a little world building. Did I tell you that I had a friend from um, my other high school reach out to me asking how to do a podcast? And her thing was she wanted to her ultimate idea was to make her own book mm. an audio drama. No, uh, maybe actually. So you're that's like, right. I think I called you the podcast whisperer. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's how. So I did tell you this. Yeah. So she reaches out to me out of nowhere and I'm fine. I mean, she was a wonderful person in high school. We got along very well. But we, uh, yeah, she asked, she knew what I did, and I, you know, gave her all my tips about how to make a podcast. Uh, which, which you coming to me, you know, so th- she was like the third person in my life to come to me asking how to do a podcast. <laughs> starting with starting with my first partner Elliot Gladstone, then you, and now her. And she was but, interested. But I'm the only one you wanted to jump on the crazy train. With, so. <laughs> I jumped on the other crazy train too. For I'm not working on her project. That that's her thing. I just told her I'd be here to, you know, give advice. But um, yeah, her idea was that she wanted to make her her audio her book an audio book as well, or at the very least an audio book, maybe a, a drama. So. And I said that that was a fantastic idea, and I was telling her that that was ultimately my plan for my book. Um, so, but that also got me thinking: I need to write this like proof of concept, which is, you know, I after my interaction with her, I'm like, I need to do this because I've been kicking it around for the last three years. Yep. So, because that's what that's what it is. All these stories they they've been all in my head for the last twenty years already. <laughs> I just got to get them out. So, as you know, um, so hopefully this this proof of concept works. I, I I'm excited for it. Um, intimidated by it, but I scaled it down so that I only have like at most four actors that are going to be involved. I could probably double up on a couple items here. Oh, but, for uh, chrysalis? No, no, no. For Stranger in the Woods. Oh, okay, that's right. So to be less intimidated by the whole process, that is. So um, So you're also kind of directing this as well. 
directing, producing, editing, all of it, all of it. I mean, just just give me the hat. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 if you want someone to give you sycophantish, sycophantish feedback, don't come to me. Uh, if you want snark <laughs> and, and truth, I'd be very happy to. Uh, yeah. I drive an no. hour to work each way, man. I can listen. No, the worst part, the worst part would be once it's published, asking you what you thought. I will never do that. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I am I am George McFly in that regard. <laughs> so anyway, that's my project in a nutshell. So. Yeah. So hopefully things will work out and that's where we are. Well, I, I oh. hope that myself for you. I really do. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. So hey, no problem, man. I, I think it's uh I think it's great to, to be able to do something in your passion. Exactly. Well, and you know, I've always been involved in the drama arts and stuff like that and the creative aspect but even though i love science i mean science was my first love i don't know it's, it's a weird dichotomy there you mean science and fiction that that just i weird you couldn't, right couldn't find a way to meld them or anything i couldn't no there was no possible way to meld them at all not even mind meld them it was very odd wait a minute <laughs> i finally just realized what sci-fi means in those sci-fi guys <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> Damn, you're a genius. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> you crazy bastard. Uh. Anyway, moving on. What? Uh, what? What? Uh, what do we got on your end, man? Well, I uh, for for the better part of the last decade, actually, it was prompted at, with a conversation with you. I think just as I was getting ready to deploy for my second tour in Iraq, and we had been... God, was it that long ago? Oh, yeah, over a decade no. ago. We were, we were chatting, and we had kind of reminisced about our failed attempts to write a story together. And No, we, we effectively wrote a story together. We did. We just kept getting <laughs> our egos in the way. Although, we, we, how many pages did we knock out? Like 40, 50 pages? No, I think it was more than that. Until Maybe. your sister erased it all. She felt terrible about that. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think it was just a, an accident. It was an older computer. Of course thing. it was. Of course it was an accident. She would never do that on purpose. Although I'm I'm gunning for her. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. She likes you. Remember that. I do. I do. She, Which is why I can get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Uh yeah, I know. Uh no more jokes at her expense. <laughs> Needless to say. Uh we uh we're like, oh well, we can definitely do this again. We're much more mature now and that yeah. <laughs> But we didn't even make it to like day one of discussion about it. We just talked about it and like, oh well let's talk in a couple of days and we'll start putting things together and then that never yeah. happened. Oh no, life got in the way. You went on tour and and not not the famous tour. And uh shoot, I think I had a kid. 
Well, yeah, um, then I had a kid coming. And you so, had a yeah. kid. Yeah, it was that I started long ago. jotting notes down. And even before I left, I had like an initial idea and a few crews. I had just at right around that time. I had also finished doing a full rewatch of Enterprise and then reading the Destiny trilogy of the uh, old Star Trek expanded universe. So mm-hmm. to speak, all the um, the relaunch books. So, for folks, just so you understand, back before Discovery came on, very in some ways similar to what happened to Lucasfilm pre, you know, at the Disney buyout. But before we started seeing new Star Trek shows in the Prime Universe again, uh, in the early two thousands, they started doing relaunches of series. So. Uh, you know, a a genuine continuation of like they called it season eight, Deep Space Nine season eight, Voyager yep. season eight. Voyager gets refitted and leads a and you know they I think they had a, a couple of small Alpha Quadrant missions before they get upgraded. <laughs> they get upgraded engines and then they end up going back to. Uh, you know, leading a, a small fleet of Starfleet ships back to the uh, Delta Quadrant to learn and explore. Um, because one of the things they bring back was like, you know, slipstream technology. So Starfleet develops slipstream technology. So that means it's like faster than warp drive. And uh, Deep Space Nine relaunches with new cast of characters and everything. And then Basically, what happens is within um, two years of the end of Nemesis, the Borg launch a full-scale invasion of the Alpha Quadrant, and they now, just start define full scale. Like, not one cube, not a handful of cubes, <laughs> like close to ten thousand cubes, just Jesus blast out through these, uh, uh, these. Uh, Transwarp conduits? Right, the transwarp conduits. And they just start crashing through. And now they're not assimilating. Now they're just, they've they've decided to wipe out the Federation and its allies who keep stopping them from doing their, their job. So they literally go on a rampage for several months and they start attacking Federation Klingon worlds and some allied worlds. And Starfleet is just, they're not able to hold up. And the this book called the Destiny Trilogy is, in some ways, it's almost like the Thrawn Trilogy of the expanded Star Trek universe. Not to that epic level, but to the fact that it really changed the scape of the, the novel universe. And so, and there's a reason why I'm explaining this, because... It involves the the Enterprise E under Picard with Worf as his first officer. You've got the Titan crew uh, under Captain Riker uh, with Tuvok on board. Uh, he's Tuvok is now on the Titan, and then oh. the Aventine, which is a brand new, super advanced starship with slipstream drive, under the command of Ezri Dax, who eventually leaves Deep Space Nine, follows the command track, and gets the whole Picard treatment of being the senior most person on board when an accident happens and kills the captain and first officer. So 
they're going around. It turns out that they discover that the Borg were accidentally created by interference from Captain Erica Hernandez in the Columbia and XO2, which disappeared early in the Romulan War. Oh, and Jesus. met this group called like the Kellier or whatever it is, and Kaliar or something like that. And uh, they've got this like gestalt that it's almost like a like a a, a mental a, a conclave, so to speak. But uh, you know, they cause like the, the Columbia inadvertently causes like disruption of this society it's super advanced and they'll kind of split and disappear but a couple members of the columbia crew are with this one you know advanced city that crashes like a thousand years in the past and then they end up becoming the proto borg by like having to find ways to Uh. use mechanics and cybernetics and whatnot and and then they so the Destiny trilogy mind. talks about basically shows how the Borg were born. Yeah, and how basically it was humans' fault. <laughs> well, no wonder why they were so focused on Sector Zero Zero One. Right, which is one of the things they talked about because, like, some of the original Borg drones were like members of the NXO One or the NXO Two, Columbia. And huh. So it turns out though that Erica Hernandez, captain of the Columbia, is not with. The Columbia, when it crashes, and is not with these offshoots of her crew who end up forming the Borg in the past, but she she goes into the future with some of these other Callier, and they eventually they meet up with the Titan, and that's how we learn about basically the history of the Borg. And this by now the Borg is just going in, and they're wiping out planets like Ryza and Kittimer and all sorts of named places and places people had visited and the Federation's on its knees and its allies. They've managed to cobble together a fleet of a whole bunch, like 600 ships from like all the major pod, uh, powers in the quadrant to go fight this Borg fleet. And the Borg just, just don't even like stop to blow them up. They just literally just <laughs> 7,000 cubes just run right through them. Jesus. And like only a handful of ships survive. So Starfleet is, you know, so like they they do their best, and then they find out that the best way to, to defeat the Borg is from within, right? Isn't that always the best? Yeah, way? that's the only way. Well, they finally get Erica Hernandez. The the it's the Titan, the Aventine, and the um, and the uh, Enterprise, who are like the three hero ships throughout this this trilogy and they basically can you know are trying to find ways to stop the board they work together they work and then you know then you'll have a little exposition dump from like the the president of the federation who actually becomes kind of a, a major recurring character in in the expanded novels um and you know like what it like part of the series takes place in the war room at in Paris, where Federation headquarters is, um, where the Office of the Presidency and the, the uh, Federation Council. So, but you get expedition exposition dumps of like, oh, Mackenzie Calhoun and the Excalibur saved this planet. And, oh, 
And Cisco has returned. In the Deep Space Nine relaunch, Cisco eventually returns and stays on Bajor for a time before he re-ups with Starfleet to fight the Borg. And you get all these references to all these ships and, and crews, either from TV shows, movies, or even some books popping up. Yeah. What it boils down to is the crews of the three ships managed to convince uh, Hernandez and what's left of this race of, you know, the progenitors of the Borg to, like, help them stop the Borg. And they basically find a way to, like, deactivate all the Borg programming, absorb a lot of the drones into their gestalt, and take off and leave the galaxy or something like that. But the, fed, the, but the, the quadrants are in ruins. Like, the Starfleet lost, like, almost 50% of Starfleet and thousands and, and hundreds of worlds are just demolished millions of billions of refugees billions of casualties and then in follow-up novels while the federation is trying to rebuild and getting and rebuilding its allies with like the cardassians and the ferengi are now joining the kittimer accords then all of a sudden the romulans the green the Zen Kathy, who I know you love. Uh, <laughs> Stupid Zen Kathy. <laughs> the Tholian. No place in anything. And, you know, there's like six powers that band together. It's basically an allegory for like NATO versus the Warsaw Pact. And this Typhon Pact becomes this major player of this collaboration of Klingon and Federation enemies who are now it's kind of a little bit of a cold war Mm -hmm. so now it's a series where maybe you'll follow the crew on deep space nine or maybe you'll follow esri dax or maybe you'll follow Riker and the titan or picard and the enterprise or now they might follow cisco and one so i mean it, it they just bounced around with a lot of it was pretty fascinating so this brings me reeling all the way back i really as you can see, I was really immersed in this uh, expanded book universe. And so I decided, you know, what would be an effective way to do something different that Starfleet hasn't seen, uh, you know, that Star Trek hasn't really seen, shown you much of. And then I was rewatching Enterprise in the Zindi arc where they bring the Makos on board. And I'm like, you know what? Why the where the fuck was it? And we we talked about this, but where the hell was yeah. the army? Where yep. was all these ground troops? Mm-hmm. That's why that's why you keep having problems at like AR five five eight is because you're putting like randos <laughs> from a starship down there. Here, you hold this. Okay. Air Force officers aren't meant to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that whole my whole beef with Stargate. <laughs> I'll, I, I mean, I just I just know that Air Force is just by definition less disciplined than both the Navy and Army like, by far. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can comment on that, but I'm I, I've seen the, the documentary. I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to run the series down, you know, the other services down. But there is. There, there's just different ways that we go about it. And one of the things that I decided was that I was going to so take an idea and 
what might the Federation do? What might be an interesting way to throw things back out there uh, post this whole disaster? Right. So the Federation and its allies are in ruins. Most of its enemies are still kind of rough, too. But, you know, but now the chess pieces are moving because the undisputed powers took a beating. Now everybody's more and more of these powers are starting to get on equal footing. So there's a lot of gamesmanship. So I decided that I was going to make my uh, a, you know, start writing a, a story anyway basically a fan fiction and i decided my crew would be a hybrid and i started writing a mako backstory into the last 200 years of starfleet and the federation <laughs> whereas in you know kind of like the early days of the marine corps where they weren't much more than you know some occasional uh, security and troops on naval vessels you know guarding the far-flung um embassies and stuff, consulates, uh, to being a full-fledged combat service. You know, the Marines at varying times in history were very small and very tied to the Navy, and then at other times, huge and undertaking independent uh, things. So I kind of merged a little bit of Marine Corps and Army stuff and wrapped them up under the Makos again, which basically since the days of the founding of the Federation, the Makos were kind of reduced down to this small, in case of emergency, break glass kind of force sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Where they, you know, do a lot of guard at Federation embassies. They have a few capable units spread out, but not a whole lot. But then every now and then when there's a big fight, then they kind of ramp up. So my my thought process was, well, look at, look at Star Trek from... TNG through the end of the end of uh, the movies, right? Yeah. In fact, before we, they did the Kelvin reboot, well, they mentioned Zemkethi War, they mentioned Cardassian War, and the Cardassian Wars kind of were going on like subsequent with the first couple seasons of TNG, although we don't see it. And then you have the Borg, and then you beef with the Dominion. The, you got the Maquis causing problems. You've got the you know, the occasional, like, back and forth with the Cardassians, the Romulans are back. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the Klingon War, multiple Borg attack. So my theory was, as they started more and more problems, as we saw Starfleet get more and more militarized, the bright uniforms all gone, and now you have a slick gray jumpsuit with just colored undershirts. You start seeing more tactical Starfleet ships. Which I always feel it should just be that way. But And, and they got a shitload better looking phasers and rifles. And oh, shit. yeah. I've, I mean, honestly, you don't... I, the you the don't, Dust Buster and the Key Fob from the first two I know. The, just, the, the mini Dust Buster and the Key Fob. Oh, my God. You're right. You're absolutely right. But... And we've talked about this in an episode previously, but you just don't realize how important the Borg were. And I don't know if the creators of Star Trek in the 90s knew how much they were changing Star Trek lore to favor fighting the Borg at the time. But 
they changed their entire fleet to make it more anti-Borg. Like they they changed their uniforms, they changed their their weapons, handheld weapons, right. torpedo weapons, the blade of armor. I mean, it just all of it, more streamlined ships that are harder to hit head on. You know, if they, if they had jumped on it faster, then they might have been able to catch up on the Dominion a little faster, too. Well, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I mean, obviously the Dominion, actually the Dominion facilitated the 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 increase because, I mean, by the time the Dominion were about to, to be exposed, the Borg threat had been, how shall we say, minimized. Well, every couple of years you get a huge Borg attack, you have the. You know the outposts that disappear at the end of season one. You get uh, they you know, weren't they weren't known to be the Borg though, right? But still, they were there. Then you get the you know season Providence. three. You know the best of both worlds. Yep. Then you. But have, that was the big one. That was the catalyst, right? Right. Well, actually, then, no. The then, catalyst was Q Q Q. But they weren't, and that's when they started doing the the big research push right and they, and they weren't ready by well, three, five they weren't years. ready by best of both worlds right but and then but then you also get you know they find the, the borg scout ship with hugh you get the descent where there was rogue borg running around because of hugh right in league with lore there's already because of there. lore right but then you have <laughs> And you have another attack in first contact, not to mention all the issues that was going on in the Delta Quadrant. So you get plenty of that going on. So by the by the you know, twenty three eighties, now you've got a real problem on your hands. So now that the Borg's gone, but everything's a mess, what happens? Well, one of the things that I, I laid out was, you know, most of the Mako units that had ramped up for the Dominion more and then for some of the occupation duties and whatnot, they just weren't really on spots that were wiped out. Yeah. There were a lot, a lot of core worlds, which a lot of, you know, they, you know, weren't, most of them weren't wiped out. So they fared better than Starfleet. So I started looking, well, what, what would I do if we were to put, if I had to put soldiers on a Navy vessel, where would they be most effective? Well, your security, your, uh, some of your admin people, you have, um, you know, it, 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 I started filtering in, you know, uh, I, I built a whole, uh, doctors, medical personnel. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at where they might filter in. And I, I put together a prologue, basically, or a, uh, an intro that really kind of described the, the point of what I was getting to with this. Uh, and one thing was, um, you know, now you, you get this whole issue where now Starfleet has this big concave where they're like, well, what are we going to do? How do we, how do we rebuild and recall of retirees and, and, and discharges and speeding up, you know, graduation and training only gets you so far. Right. Mm-hmm. 
then you know you're looking at well okay so you need ships so now you start looking at well where are you going to get ships well we've seen in star trek you know decommission yards right wasn't that part of unification where they go to the decommission yards they're looking for parts from federation starships they're disappearing yeah so they start recommissioning these and you're bringing people on board and the newer the most recent ships that can be more heavily upgraded uh, to current stuff or, you know, they are the ones sent further out from the core and then your older ships that might not be able to be as upgraded. Maybe they're on um, transport duty in between. Right. The Patrol. Because now you're trying to find places for billions of refugees. And, and now you're looking at the Federation having problems with supply and hunger and starvation and homelessness, things that weren't really a thing in the Federation. Right. So. Weird. Right. So then I started looking at, I built this whole backstory in to tie in and uh, a new breed of ships were basically in my mindset look kind of like, you know how the Constitution class had the Miranda class. Yeah. Had the the uh, galaxy class had the nebula class. Yep. You know, we see examples of like the heavy main line ships having like a smaller, stouter cruiser variety. Yep. Well, I, this is kind of like a, a, a cruiser. You know, and almost like the Akira is almost like a cruiser version of the, the Sovereign. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took this to be these Vesta-class starships, these the top-of-the-line ships, which are the ones that Esri Dax had, right? Slipstream drive, fa- uh, phaser cannons. They had, like, the top-of-the-line technology, right? Mm-hmm. This is a cruiser variant. You know, those downward-sloping wings, this, the primary hull right on top of the secondary hull, maybe a roll bar with... Weapons or sensors, you know, like a nebula class, only meaner looking with teeth. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> this was called the Defender class. Okay, and this is what you made up. Yep, that's what I made up. All right. So it's, uh, it's, it was in the midst of uh, the first. Two ships were in the midst of testing phases when the Borg invasion happened, and they rushed out, got smacked around pretty hard. So now they're <laughs> learning from that. So the third ship is coming off the line with all these upgrades based off of what happened against the Borg. Yep. And there's a decision made to have a partially Mako crew on there. And to not only have Makos on the crew, but to have a tactical detachment on board. Because with the rise of the Hyphon Pact causing problems, they figured this is going to be like a, a trouble shooter kind of ship. A ship that can go and do humanitarian missions, but can put up a fight. Yeah. So... In the age-old tradition of something along the lines of New Frontier, where they grabbed a couple of 
pre-existing characters from places. <laughs> Peter David, of course, who uh, wrote some Starfleet Academy comic books in addition to all of these novels he wrote, had pulled into New Frontier characters he developed as cadet classmates of Worf, who then populated the crew of the Excalibur in his New Frontier series. Yep. So, using a little <clears throat> bit of that kind of example, um, Michael Jan Freeman, the guy who wrote the Reunion novel, which you had turned me on to, which was about Picard hosting a reunion of surviving Stargazer members of the crew. Stargazer. Yep. Well, his former first officer was a guy by the name of Captain uh, Benzoma. And uh, Benzoma, um, from what they were calling like the African block or something like that, it was like an amalgamation of African nations on the African continent. Because you know how they, they roll. It's like eh, everything's got to be a block or a reunified or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, so he got, he had some, you know, in addition to the Stargazer series, he also had some appearances in other next-gen books. So I thought, there you are. There's one pulling out of the literary category. And, and I started throwing some original characters and then a couple of named characters one of the uh, bridge crew is uh you remember the tng episode lower decks the very good episode from lower decks uh, called lower decks <laughs> yeah um was it the vulcan what's his name well, you had Tarek, who was an engineer, so he was yep. like kind of Junior Jordy. You have Alyssa Ogawa, who'd been a recurring character, but she's like Junior Beverly. Then you have brought over from the first duty, Cito mm -hmm. Jaxa, the Bajoran member of, what was it, Nova Squad? They never explicitly said that that was her, did they? They did. I mean, I know they referenced a thing she did in the Academy, but they never explicitly no. said what it was. I know it was implied. I was well, just wondering if it was she like had a the same name. And yeah. The same actress. So, yeah, no, they talked about the stunt at the Academy and all that stuff. So. Yeah. So. But then you also have the baby Riker, Sam Lavelle, right? Yeah, the cocky. Uh -huh. Promotion, yeah. promotion. Got to yeah. think promotion. <laughs> right. So he's on board as the second officer, the ops guy. Uh, but, you know, I started developing my own characters as well. Um, uh, one of the things I did do. Um, was I have like a member of all the founding races of the Federation in the main crew. The chief engineer is a Tellerite. Mm -hmm. The the uh, the the chief medical officer is a Mako, Andorian. Uh, you have a obviously human. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I'm going to go ahead and stereotype. We have a Vulcan science officer. <laughs> of course you do. Because <laughs> you need to. That's just what they are. Well, I mean, Tuvok was security, but... Um, <laughs> and then I have a Mako detachment commander, who's basically my proxy main character. Right. Um, because, it, uh, you know, and taking things from various starships that were already in, like the Akira class, which launched fighters... This can carry some fighters as well. So now I have a handful of Mako fighters and a handful of Starfleet fighters on board. Makos are a little bit... I kind of liken them to more like an A-10 Warthog. More of a ground attack kind of thing. Yeah. Or or like the the Y-Wing in Star Wars versus the Uh X-Wing. More of your fighter bomber as opposed to the true dog fighter, which is the X Wing. Mm-hmm. So that's what the Starfleet folks have. <laughs> I like that. You know, uh, I've got a join Trill, who's the Mako first sergeant, the senior non the senior sergeant. <clears throat> and I started putting this team together, and as I started building, and the the more I've done it, I I had, I had mapped out most of the first chapter I had written in, but I had, I had put together a, a huge five-year plan at one point. Whereas, like, the first two years were were one, and then there was a bit of a, I won't say a format change, but there was an adjustment of crew because, you know, people get promoted and stuff on my ships. Right. Career right. progression, people get killed. <laughs> I, I try. I'm trying to place a little bit more realism in it, but you know, I, I've I've looked deeper on it, and I have enlisted personnel here. You know, of course, well, it's a lot. Which a lot is of, not explicit in other Star Trek forms. No, you really get like miles o'brien was like the first major recurring character who eventually was shown to be enlisted you know and then you have now they're showing it retroactively like chief kyle on the enterprise their transporter chief in in strange new world is basically you can tell he's like an enlisted or like a warrant officer like how miles o'brien kind of is so I've really tried to to put some interesting perspective in here, right? I I have put together a a Mako team that basically in, in the first year or two, you know, the the Mako team chief, unlike the Mako team chief <laughs> in Enterprise, who uh, as somebody who achieved the rank of major, would not take shit from no lieutenant in the Navy. Okay. Yeah. I might be able to defer to their experience from time to time, but I don't. It it was bad for good order and discipline for Major Hayes to call Lieutenant Reed sir and to support to him like that. It's very bad. So completely. <laughs> so so it's an integrated crew. It's not kind of like yeah. okay, here's the existing Enterprise crew. And then let's just throw this squad of soldiers 
on for a week and see how that works. No, yeah. No, it makes sense. I, I mean, it's it's a progressed crew, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. And these you know, are all so, like outline items, things that you would love to have put together to continue the series. Well, and as each, you saw, each major character has a I've written a, basically a, a mini bio. You know? Right. Uh, Which is what I, all the good authors do, actually, and I don't do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also have like and you've seen my outline. So yes. I have. I have a bio for the major players. Then I have, you know, storylines for the first couple of years. My initial description of the, the, and my ship is called the Guardian, which I felt fit because it, it can fight, but it's more, it's, it's more skilled first than sword. Okay. Okay. It's got a crew of, of just shy of a, a thousand, about 600 plus Starfleet, and a little over 250 Makos. Got about a dozen to 15 fighter craft. And now here's where I started getting into me being an armor guy. <laughs> it's like, in addition to all the various support shuttles and whatnot. You remember the controversial dune buggy shuttle, the Argo from Nemesis? Which <clears throat> oh, you mean the, the, the thing that Patrick Stewart wanted specifically in the movie that had no other, like, you know, reference used in the movie other than just to, you know, ride around and him laugh a little bit, which is a little outside of what his character was? Yeah. Picard was going through a, a another midlife crisis, I guess. <laughs> a second midlife crisis. Anyway, he. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, and they they've used that in Lower Decks too, if you recall. They brought it back, which of course it actually makes sense to have you know a ground capable vehicle. You know. Well, of course it does. <laughs> of course, but yes. Um, I mean, so, I liked the Argo. I liked what it looked like. It just was out of place in Nemesis. True. Uh, but I did like, the, you know, because it kind of reminds you of when you see the the the, the pictures of uh, in the, the video clips of like the special forces guys on what essentially look like uh, dune buggies with machine guns on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which almost looked like something out of G.I. Joe. But um, so. There's a couple of those shuttles that include, and these are like scout um, vehicles mm-hmm. for, you know, terrain and, of course, also for usage of, you know, transporting equipment and such. Um, I have uh, a combined group of uh, Mako and Starfleet Corps of Engineers, not like, you know, engineers, you know, like the what you see in Enterprise, but like the people, like on the Enterprise or Defiant or somebody in the engine room, we're talking about dudes who like go and build shit on the, on the surface or go to like, you know how they're always running out there to like, oh, we need to go fix the power relays on this colony. Yep. Well, yeah, now you have people with actual construction equipment and stuff like that, so. 
because one of their key missions is to going out to some of these colonies and either placing new colonies or having missions to help rebuild things or build new outposts and stuff like that. You know, as they move closer and closer to the frontier since they're a state-of-the-art starship. And I have, you know, a, a couple of combat platoons, you know, about 30 dudes and whatnot, but I also half the sick bay is filled with Mako medics and stuff like that. So I'm trying right. to intersperse them, right? So it makes <laughs> sense, right? Because one of the well, things that I... Well, does it make sense? Well, let's listen to this thought process, okay? Okay. So Starfleet loses like 40%, right? Yep. Of its forces. So, but the Makos didn't lose that much. Maybe only 10, 15% of their of their manning, right? So now, in order to make up for shortfalls, Starfleet really puts their focus in the academy and training into things like starship mechanics and command tracks and sciences. Where the Makos, you can put them in places like you've got, you know, I've got an entire medical platoon of 20 dudes who can go and fill those medics on board a starship. Okay. You have All right. All right. Feeling it, you know, it, because I know what kind of jobs we have. We have communication dudes who handle radios and stuff. Now you have those guys helping fill in aboard starships. In that the more ship centric things let the let Starfleet focus on building that up. Whereas in the Makos are able to temporarily take some of these burdens, like half the security personnel on board the Guardian or Mako, because that's something they can do. Mm-hmm. You can spread your Starfleet people out in different areas. And, and I believe I had mentioned this before, because this has slipstream technology and some tactical assault shuttles, which are like heavily armored runabouts. Yep. Starborn infantry. Due to have the capability of, of doing the, basically the space skydiving scene from <laughs> Star, Trek Star Trek 09. Well, I mean, it was alluded to in Voyager with mm-hmm. uh, um, B'Elanna. Right. Taking out the safety protocols in the holodeck. Yeah. Was and, orbital and, skydiving. Yeah, that, and like that, that was the one from the deleted scene. Uh, in. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Generations. In Generations. With, uh, Captain Kirk. Right. So I they mean, figured out it, a different way to introduce Captain Kirk, which right. I felt it, was a little more dignified. Yeah, but that, it was a neat fine. idea. Right. But the idea is, and it was also like when you see how Khan and Kirk get aboard the Vengeance, you know, where they kind yeah. of fly out in those suits. You know, it's I, a late. I try to get rid of that movie out of my head. I don't really. I, I get that, and, and I'm not saying that that it, it, in and of itself was a brilliant idea, but the idea of having the capability of deploying people in spots where transporters might not be of use. Mm-hmm. You know, 
or being able to drop them in the high atmosphere where you know they can disperse and you know not not pick up not be able to be picked up as easily as a ship trying to land sure being feels up you know it's more of a uh, alternate means. Yeah. Kind of like, it's almost like it's, it's not quite as infrequent as the saucer separation, but you kind of get my drift on that. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is that this, this, I started writing this, right? And I've got a, an outline that's nearly, it's over 10 pages long mm-hmm. that has breakdowns of what the crew is and what's on board the ship. And what each person basically, for the most part, looks like. Or, you know, in some personality descriptions, I have written a couple of, you know, uh, about a chapter or two of intro. Um, But really, I've run this thing through my head sometimes on long drives and what I'm looking for. And that's why I looked as far out as like five years from the beginning. Mm hmm. So you start uh, getting things where it's a little, you know, how the enterprise is, is kind of, is, it's, it's almost like stuffy. <laughs> well, let's, let's go to 10 forward to watch yet another concert of classical music. Sure. Well, let's go to the hollow deck and recreate Shakespeare. Mako's at a little more rough around the edges, a little more deep space, 90, a little more enterprisey. Sure. Movie night. I got you. I got you. You know, uh, on, on in their bar, you got a guy who might play some form of different types of music. <laughs> I'll freely admit, one of my character, a couple of my characters. Form a little bit of a jam band. Hey, I mean, you know, that (laughs) that's not something we normally see outside of the classical sector. So, right. And I can tell you from dudes on deployment, I've seen plenty of dudes develop jam bands, you know. (laughs) I've seen guys ship uh, guitars and and drum sets and shipping containers overseas, (laughs) you know, so you you get guys who will actually have real alcohol hidden places. You'll have guys who will go out and use vulgarity. You know, you have guys who aren't afraid to, you know, get into a fight. And, you know, of course, like the first year or so is a lot of the two crews kind of feeling each other out, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it actually makes sense. And it was one of the things that actually one of the few things that I liked about Star, uh, Discovery season one was the under officers. Do you even say that? Like, is that, is that even a right term? The, the, no. the junior officers? Junior officers, yeah. Junior under officers. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a weird underwear line. Um the junior officers getting together and, and uh, partying. Uh, right. Which I found to be okay. 
I mean, I found that acceptable. Uh, and it made sense. No, it, 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 you know, it is. I mean, even look, can, can you got to consider this? Like when you're away from possible family or whatever, you know, Navy ships do this all the time. Three, six month floats, you know, the occasional port of call, but then you're spending weeks at sea. Yeah. You're yeah. seeing every people the same way. So people form sports teams or <laughs> I, I remember there was a Dungeon and Dragons club on one base that I was on. You know, you, there was weekly. There was one at one base I was at. It, it, somebody built an RC racetrack and people nice. were, like, were shipping little mini RC trucks around there in in spare time in between missions because when when soldiers have downtime they got to find things to do and so nice my like my like i say well my main my my main two characters are the mako commander who is also uh, given the position of tactical officer on board the ship. Chief of security. Which pisses off the Starfleet security officer who's in charge <laughs> of Starfleet. Well, sure. Because, you know, you're going to have that. It's a little bit of that Odo Eddington thing early on in season three, where it's like, oh, yeah. I'm in charge of Starfleet security. I am here to make friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so we've got this Starfleet lieutenant who's not happy that there's a Mako running security on him. But, you know, you get some, some button heads and eventually, you know, things will smooth out as, as they become a well-oiled machine and you start having... I've mapped out like their first six missions you know, generally. Yeah. <coughs> and Part of my I, coughing, I apologize. That's okay. I, I know I've kind of droned a little, but I, I don't know. I <coughs> found it's your this baby, to, man. I found this to be very fun. Like yeah. I said, uh, you know, when you try not to be human heavy, and then I realized, like, this, the, the four senior people on board the ship are all human. Uh, <laughs> but the chief engineer is a Tellerite. The chief, uh, the chief medical officer is an Andorian. I, I, I fell into the trap. The Vulcan is the chief science officer, but I've got a Denobulan fighter pilot. I have, uh, I have a Bajoran Intel officer who works directly for the Mako chief. I've got a Trill. I have an Elorian who is the ship's counselor because I figure might as well make it make it so. <laughs> yeah, make it real. <laughs> and, and for me, I tried to find, I tried to use, you know, recognizable races from Star Trek, you know, things that made a little more sense e mm -hmm. or I'd say easier to identify in book form. Yep. Well, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're like, oh, this guy's a Bolian. Okay. 
I remember what those guys look like because I've seen a bunch of Bolians. Oh, this guy's a Betazoid. Okay, so I know that this guy can read minds. You know, I've thrown in a couple of uh, randos, like I have a Synexian. You know, that was Mackenzie Calhoun. Mm -hmm. I have a Ryzen. A Ryzen? Mm. I didn't think that they actually did anything outside of their planet. Yes, he's I mean, kind it of an outcast. It, 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 he's not even Starfleet, he's a Mako, so he's kind of an outcast with his people. Huh. Interesting. And that's why I chose it as such. Yeah. <laughs> the free love planet. And yep. now you got a guy who wants to go and join not just Starfleet, but the military. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I did do that I feel Star Trek was kind of lacking, and maybe that's what Miles O'Brien was by the end of his time on the Enterprise, but in most, you know, in most military uh, units in, in, the, in the U.S. is there's a, there's a corresponding senior enlisted rank to every command position. Yeah. So, like a, in a company, you'll have a captain who's in charge of a company. That's like 100 people. You have a first sergeant who's a senior non-commissioned officer. For a battalion, which might be 500 people, you have a sergeant major. And then there's a sergeant major for, like, brigade division higher. There's just different levels of, of sergeant major. But in the Navy, they have what they call COBS, chief of the boat, which is basically their senior, their master chief petty officer, who's basically this, like, uh, the sergeant major of a boat. And they usually, if you ever watch these Navy movies, it's like, oh, where's the COB? The COB is the chief of the boat, a.k.a the senior non-commissioned officer. So one of the other things I have tied in with the senior transporter chief is, is basically trying to compete with the first sergeant of the Mako detachment for the senior NCO position on board the boat, so to speak. Oh. Or more so pissed off that because <laughs> of the amount of Mako forces, Mako is basically made the senior enlisted person on board the ship so. yeah and you know i have a few trying to develop a few friction points right there's some starfleet engineers there's some mako engineers you know and there's people who butt heads and, and there's other people who find everybody you know relationships and romances and such like that I don't know. I, I found it to be interesting. Again, everything, all these books were basically just made non, non-canon. Not they were like they were ever treated as canon. Not quite the way the Star Wars EU was, but they all had a connected tissue, which made it interesting. And unlike Star Wars, which just said, "Oh, Disney, uh, we've bought it. We're making our new shit." So all this wonderful stuff for the last 20 years that everybody did it's it's legends now it's like an alternate universe oh okay star trek actually did like a, a trilogy that was supposed to cross over that was supposed to i guess like a, a timeline fix or like a timeline which basically ended 
the the literary universe. Yeah. Did did you read it? You mentioned it before. I bought it. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. I do want to. I'm trying to finish another Star Trek book that's kind of leading up to this point before I get there. I gotcha. How messed up would it be if they did it, <clears throat> if they ended the literary universe like they ended the Babylon 5 show? Oh, you mean jumping ahead like several hundred years? <laughs> and then just blowing everything up? Uh, you know, something things have to end at some point. True. But they blow everything up. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's a thing. You maniacs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I mean, I like the fact that they even allowed them to do it. To have a way to kind of end this with dignity, so to speak. Because a lot True. of people put a lot of effort into <clears throat> these novels. And some of them were extremely popular. The Destiny trilogy of novels is still considered some of the most popular and some of the best Star Trek novels written. Yeah, I own the trilogy. I still haven't read it yet. Jeez, but, I wonder if, wonder if you get them on audio. But I did. Yeah, that would be something, actually. I did. I did start reading it. And the way it was written, I could hear the way I could hear Jedzia in my head, the way Jedzia was written. I could hear. No, no, Jedzia. Oh, right. Because they do have a a flashback, a little prologue in there. Like they they said, they use the exact same lines exactly that she would have said. Oh, and yeah, they did good research onto the characters. Really good. It was just it was a great extension. I, I felt that that was appropriate, uh, and I I liked that. I liked that a lot. So, and that's as far as I got into the book. <laughs> I didn't get to where Ezra's back or in it. So, you will. She's one of the major characters in this trilogy. Um, and you know what? I've enjoyed playing in this this world i don't know how well my plan would fit into the current canon i mean i could make it work if i wanted no, there's no to. reason why you couldn't i mean there's no reason but, why it couldn't still fit it's just yeah. you know picard doing what picard does which is i don't know that could be easily written out yeah but like i said and, and of course after a while, you know, once I started having enough development of my characters, I started thinking what actors and or actresses would would actually be pretty good in these roles. And I've had things change over the years because I originally started writing some of these characters 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, I have thoroughly enjoyed doing this. Good. It has made me happy when I've had a chance. I actually started doing a lot of revising to what I'd already made last year while I was just waiting to retire from the army. So nice. Well, I mean, I isn't that to... isn't that what it's for? It's personal fulfillment, right? And part of me also wanted to um, make sure I went back to. I reread a few things I had written in some descriptions. And I'm like. 
I think I need to mature this up a little bit. <laughs> I think I, uh, I think I've uh, need to expand my worldview or make this a little bit more inclusive <clears throat> or just fix things where that was a little bit more of a myopic view or, or not quite as in depth. Well, there's always going to be that when you look back on your writing, even when that's supposed to be the finished product. Just look at the way George Lucas has played around with the original trilogy, you know? Sometimes yeah, for the better, is. most of the times for the worse. Shit ain't perfect. Nope. But, uh, you know, that's just what it is. We we change our sensibilities over time. And uh, that's my ultimate, you know, bringing this back to me a little bit. I mean, that's that's a fear of mine that my writing style is going to be different for my second book rather than the first, you know. Agreed. Um, I, I get it, man. I really do. And uh, I respect that. So, but you know, that at least that you're trying. You know, at least you're trying. And <laughs> folks, I know we kind of rattled off on a lot of bull. And we not talked. Bull. Yeah, but, you know, we still went down rabbit holes. And I'm sure I probably spent too long on my setup to get to what I where I was describing. But if you don't know the book then we're then it's really kind of a moot point right we know absolutely correct yes so um but anyway i think uh <laughs> i think we've kind of wound down to the ultimate ending haven't we i think it is so thank you guys for uh going down this little journey with us and uh on that note, you guys follow us on Twitter at those sci-fi guys, um, and then you can uh, email us at those sci-fi guys at gmail.com. Until the next time, DT, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. So long, everyone. And we'll see you on the high ground. Have a good one. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by AlphaSite Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin Cloud at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosesci guys.com for past episode information. <laughs>